The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Dan Nathan, Bono and Eisen, Brian Kelly, and Pete Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Ahead on Fast, does everyone who wants a TV or phone or PC basically have one? A startling headline from Taiwan Semi that is sending shockwaves to the consumer electronics industry and rattling stocks. Plus, all that glitters and glows. Gold of more than 6% this year, its best quarter since 2020, while uranium surged even more, up nearly 35% this year. How long will this commodity climb last? And later, from the doghouse to the penthouse, we will look at stocks that started the year in the basement but have clawed their way back to the main floor. Are they worth a look for the rest of the year? We start off with a late-day sell-off to close out the first quarter. The S&P dropping steeply in the last hour of trading, bringing its losses for the year to nearly 5%. The continued volatility comes as markets brace for the next round of earnings season. And if early looks are any indication, we could be in for a rough ride. Today, retailer H&M reported a steep slowdown in sales just in recent weeks due to the war in the Ukraine. Revenues growing just 6% in March compared to 23% in the quarter before. We told you yesterday the RHC CEO liken the current environment to the Bear Stearns collapse. So markets priced in the earnings season ahead. The performance in the first quarter, Brian Kelly, was that discounting maybe the lack of visibility that companies will have in the second quarter, or is there more pain to come? You know, I think there might be more pain to come. I mean, at least in terms of if you look at analyst estimates, they have not reduced their estimates on the S&P 500. They haven't reduced their estimates on stocks at all. You know, we've had Mike Wilson on, and that's this is one of his main arguments, is that stocks have not priced in this slowdown in growth. And some of the more high-frequency data points that we're getting, we saw China PMI uh, come out in there and now contraction. We know we're having lockdowns there. We know that Europe has got massive inflation problems as well as issues with the economy slowing down. So all of those things combined, I do not think this market has priced that in. And I think that is the big risk for the market here because we have seen no analyst downgrade. We shouldn't say no, but we haven't seen many analyst downgrades at all. Yeah, not materially. If you think of S&P, the consensus for S&P earnings for this year, it's up expected to be 8 9% year-over-year year growth. Um, at $228, and that places an S&P around these levels at about 20 times or so. Now, that may not seem that expensive, especially what we got used to in the age of QE, but it is above you know, the 10-year average, about 17 um, 
times or so. And I'll just say this, you know, FactSet, they put out their earnings insight um, every Friday. And John Butters, who I've been reading him for years, and it's really interesting, he suggested that Q1 consensus estimates have been lowered about 1%, you know, and, and, then, and then the back half have actually gone up a bit. And so yeah. to me, I just think if you're playing for that, you know, back end loaded sort of 2022, when we were supposed to really be inflecting as a global economy right now, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. So then if you consider yourself, okay, rates are really not going meaningfully below where they are right now. And you say to yourself, given all the uncertainty that we have about the global economy and the pace of the reopening, well, S&P earnings are likely too high. They're probably going to come in. This is my guess. I'm not an economist. I'm not a strategist. But they're probably going to come in mid to low single digits at best. Is my So then what's happened? How do you correct for that? Well, the stock market likely has to come in, right, if, if estimates have not come down yet. And that's probably what is going to be the result of Q1 earnings and Q2 guidance. I mean, there are two potential pain points coming for us in a couple of weeks when earnings season starts, Bonawind, and that is, you know, what has happened in recent weeks as the quarter closed? Did we see that slowdown that H&M was talking about across various businesses and industries? And then also, what is the visibility going to Q2 and, and the rest of the year for that matter? But I'll, I'll even just, just say Q2. What is the visibility even just for Q2? That's kind of difficult, too. Yeah, I would agree. Given all the geopolitical unrest and uncertainty, we really just don't know. Add in the inflationary factors that we're seeing, and we're talking about the, the recent or, or, or abundant readings that we're getting in terms of short-term pulses on the market. You know, well, we're going to get our backward-looking numbers. And what you've seen with shares are even when they've had strong numbers in previous quarters, if the guidance is anything but stellar, the stocks get punished. So, I mean, this happens one of two ways. Either you have multiple expansion and, and that kind of subsists and, and it continues to buoy the market up, given what might be a drawdown in earnings, or you're going to see a stock correction. I, you, as you know, I've been in the uh, short-term bear camp. I haven't really bought into this bear market rally. And I think um, it's kind of time to pay the piper. Are you in the bear camp too, Pete? Um, I asked you that because, I, you know, the other thing that, that Dan had mentioned was the extent of lockdowns and what we're seeing in Shanghai right now. We already heard from Tesla today extending their production shutdown for longer because the shutdowns are going for longer. There are empty malls in Shanghai. The gleaming malls of Shanghai, completely empty. No consumers there. Have we factored that in? Well, I can tell you this. I, I think everybody's right when they use the word uncertainty because that is exactly what we're facing right now. Also inflation. So those are, are definitely headwinds that we're looking at. Am I in the bearish camp? I'm probably not. And I know Dan probably knew that before you asked. But, uh, but I certainly am in the camp that I've been a lot more cautious than I have been in the past, Mel. For instance, I'll give you a great example. I have not found opportunity to buy stocks in the portfolio even when we were at the lower end of, of what, what's been a pretty interesting first quarter of the year, just because I'm just, I'm just not convinced. And because of that, I'm doing a lot in the options world, but I'm doing very, very little in terms of longer term. And when I say that, if I were a little bit more bearish, I probably would have been looking for stocks that I thought made a lot of sense on some of this sell-off. I've not been able to find that. So I, I remain very cautious, but it is a great trading environment. I, I really don't know that I've seen a better trading environment since I've been a trader since 1992. So that gives you a little bit of an idea. I mean, it, this has really been remarkable, whether you're talking oil one day, technology the next, semiconductors the next. Oh, and then, by the way, you can go over into the uranium space. Wherever you want to go, there have been incredible opportunities for trade. But that being said, I still think you have to be very cautious. 
Yeah, no, Pete makes a really good point. It has been a, an amazing trading market for a whole host of different risk assets. I mean, it's not just stocks, but when you think about the stock market, you think of some of the balances. I mean, we use terms like bear market. I, you know, none of us know what that really means. It happened so quickly in Q1 of this year. And the last one that we had, which is defined by a 20% peak to drop decline, happened in Q1 of 2020. And that corrected itself, meaning got back to its place very quickly. I guess what I would really focus on is that, you know, we still have this condition where about 10 stocks are booing the major averages, right? So if you look at, you know, on the, on, the, on the quarter right now, on the year, you know, Apple is down about 1%. The NASDAQ is down about 9.5%. If you look at the outperformance that we've seen of Amazon just this year, and I know it underperformed last year, but those major names are really masking what continues to be a lot of really bad price action across a whole host of sectors. Now, we can talk about energy. We can talk about all those stocks up 40%, but they make up low single digits percentage of the S&P 500. So if those handful of names are going to continue to do the heavy lifting, then there's going to be a lot of continued weakness in the other ones. And a lot of stocks that had rallied 50% off of their lows that are still off 50% from their highs, you know, that trade, have a ball, trade them. I mean, like, they're going to be great if you're nimble enough and you use options the way uh, Pete does and, and you do all this sort of stuff. But uh, most people don't have that. And I'm going to tell you this, when you go 50% from a low after declining 70 or 80%, and then you go back and you retest those prior lows, it's lights out, people. I mean, that that's it. Like, there's no, there's no hope for some of those names going forward. And so we've seen this in the financial crisis. We saw it in the post-dot-com crisis. So I guess the point is, stay nimble if you're going to trade, but don't fall in love with trades. Because when some of those things that just rallied the way they did go back and uh, make new lows, you're going to end up owning those for a very long time. All right. We've got some breaking news here we want to get to. On Amazon's union vote in Alabama, Deirdre Bose has got the story. Debo. Hey, Melissa, we do have some early results from that Alabama warehouse. Remember, this is the second election, and it is much closer for the unionization side. 875 votes in favor, however, 993 against. Last year, they lost by an over two-to-one ratio. Um, so the results are getting closer. There's more than 400 challenge ballots, so they need to sort out those before we get a final result. Remember, too, that there's another um, union vote being counted in Staten Island, and that shows at the moment that the union there has the lead, but they are still counting. We should get the results tomorrow. The takeaway, though, Melissa, is that unionization, the drive at Amazon, is gaining some momentum. Uh, we'll bring you more as we get it. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Um, and it's gaining momentum in other, for other companies as well. I mean, Starbucks said a number of stores and regions vote on unionization, Pete. And, and to me, that spells higher wages, good for the consumer, good for the workers there. Um, how do you think it affects the shareholders, though? Well, and I think that's why we've seen certain stocks that we really love and we know we use and we know that we see lines out the door and we all know about Amazon. But I think that's right, Mel. I mean, when, you, when it really comes down to it all, the, these are going to be impactful, I think, to those companies going forward, which is why you look at Starbucks. Starbucks, remember, everybody seemed to love it when it was like $130 a share, and then suddenly nobody seems to like it when it's dropped back down. So I think that's partially because the nervousness of what is it going forward and how is this going to impact their earnings as we look, look ahead. And the fact, of course, that in China, things which is where their growth was really coming from, that was something that was shut down. So there's a lot of different headwinds that we're, we're talking about here right now. But this is certainly something that I think everybody's been watching very, very closely, whether it's Starbucks or Amazon or others, where this is something that is going to be impacting what's going to what we're all going to be looking at in the forward markets. And that's what we're always looking at. Right. We're never we're never looking behind. We're always looking ahead. And that is something looking ahead that I think a lot of people are very nervous about.
Yeah, but looking back at the conversation we just had, I mean, wages here in the U.S., this is a big part of corporate earnings, right? So if you're yes. worried about a stagflationary environment and you're worried about things like a wage price spiral, that's the thing that's going to weigh on earnings. Those are the things that are going to kind of, you know, cause uh, strategists to kind of rework some of those numbers lower. The only thing I'll just say is that if you're expecting all the growth from some of these U.S. multinationals, they're not having some of the same wage pressures as we are. Deglobalization is going to hurt them and it actually make them even that much more competitive. And I'll take you back to prior to the pandemic, we were worried about automation. We were talking about universal basic income. And I guarantee you, all of these gains of these major consumer-facing companies, what they've been spending on is investing in AI. That's going to go back to automation. I'm just saying, I think it's going to be a smaller component of the workforce that's going to have the benefit of these higher wages once we have the pandemic and some of these geopolitical stuff in the rearview mirror. But right now, I do think this is a huge risk to corporate earnings for the S&P 500 this year. All right. Well, rising inflation and sky-high energy prices a key driver behind President Biden's announcement of the largest ever release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, one million barrels per day of oil for the next six months. Oil finishing, though, is down, but still up 33 percent this year. That's its eighth positive quarter in a row. So will the commodity complex continue to grind higher? Let's bring in Ed Moore, City's Managing Director and Global Head of Commodity Research. Ed, great to have you with us. Great to get your thoughts, as always. Um, it seems like this is a very short-term Solution. I mean, obviously, any release from the SPR is, is usually a short-term solution, but it also makes it less appealing, perhaps, for oil companies to actually open a spigot, so to speak, and produce more. I mean, if, if you're going to just all of a sudden lower the price of oil forcefully like that, you're not giving any incentive to the markets to actually pump more. Well, it depends on how you look at it. Actually, prices are higher than anyone expected they'd be at this time of year. And yes, there are certain companies that are, you know, dug into. It doesn't matter if oil goes to two hundred dollars. We're not going to we're not going to drill more. But I think uh, I think the White House has it right this time. They've talked to enough companies to, to know that they've incentivized them. And uh, they talked to, in, the, in, the, in the White House fact sheet about using the National Production Act of 1950, uh, which mandates mandates that companies produce. They didn't specifically talk about oil. They talked about they talked about metals. Actually, they talked about metals that are needed for battery power, particularly for long-lasting batteries. But they mentioned it in the context of the SBR release. And in the SBR release, they also talked about how they were willing to buy back oil, and they've told companies more or less at what price they'd be willing to buy it back. So I think this has incentivized a number of companies to raise their drilling activity. We're already seeing it in the increase in drilling rates. Um, and I think we'll be surprised to the upside. Uh, the White House is talking about, uh, you know, getting to a million barrels a day of growth by the end of the year. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be potentially bigger than that if we look at it on a deck debt basis. And even on a year on year basis, I think we're looking at between 1.3 and 1.5 million barrels a day of incremental U.S. oil and natural gas liquid supply. That's, by the way, over and above hey Ed, it's, the million it's barrel a day release. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Hey, Ed, Brian Kelly. So I'm curious on, on the SPR release, what we're hearing a lot is that there are diesel shortages. We saw Austin Airport warn they might run out of jet fuel the other day. So all the products are in shortage. Does this SPR release impact that? And I'm asking it because obviously that's going to have a big impact on the economy if you can't drive your truck and you can't fly your plane. No, I think I think it's going to have an impact. The impact on the diesel is going to be coming from a multiplicity of factors. And we have to remember that one of them 
has to do not with oil, but with natural gas. So we had natural gas prices skyrocketing this year for the first time in my memory. The price of natural gas was higher on an equivalent basis than either diesel or propane. I think we're looking at parallel things that are underway that are going to reduce natural gas prices. They're going to see a switching as a result of that uh, back to natural gas from oil. But more importantly, if you're a refiner that's upgrading uh, heavy oil or upgrading sour crude, you need natural gas as a feedstock. And a lot of that shortage is in addition to the high price of natural gas and switching to diesel. A lot of that is also the inability to run refineries, particularly in Europe, which is normally short diesel and where refineries were uneconomic, even with diesel cracks at the 30 to $35 a barrel range. So I think we're going to have compensating factors for that that are going to ease the diesel market as we get into the summertime. And if we can quickly touch softs, I'm curious what your outlook is for, for some of the, the crops um, outlook, I mean, in terms of next year, because right now we're seeing crops that are not being planted in some parts of the world because they cannot be planted, crops that are being changed to use less fertilizer-intensive um, crops instead of, you know, say, corn, which may require more fertilizer. And I'm wondering what the longer-term impact is um, that the consumer can look forward to. Well, the longer-term impact in, in crops is usually 18 months. Because that's about as long as it takes to get from one cycle to another. But we're in this unusual circumstance in which Ukraine and Russia together are uh, close to 30 percent of global wheat production. Uh, corn production is significant in Ukraine as well. It's hard to imagine how a Ukraine crop is going to be uh, reaped, you know, let alone sown for the next season. Uh, and we're seeing... Uh, a, a big impact already, particularly on emerging markets. We think of food prices where we live, but we have to remember that all of that turmoil in the Middle East in 2011, the so-called Arab Spring of 2011, was due to a wheat shortage, and that wheat shortage came from Ukraine and Russia. And we, we're very much in the mode to have that happen. And with uh, the economic restrictions that are imposed one way or another, uh, Russia being a very large, the world's largest exporter of fertilizers, we're seeing problems ahead this summer. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll see that on the inflation side, we're seeing deflationary efforts underway on the energy side, but there's not much to deal with the inflation on ags. And we're worried about the political turmoil that might result, uh, just as we saw that political turmoil in Egypt and Tunisia in 2011. Wow. Ed, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Ed Morse of City. Um, we do want to turn your attention to the twos tens spread. It has gone negative. So right now the 10-year yield is at 2.337 and the two years at 2.339. We thought we'd bring that to your attention. That's something we're watching. Obviously, this is a moment in time right now. We'll see if this sticks in terms of the inversion of the yield curve. Um, Brian Kelly, I thought it was really interesting what Ed mentioned, Arab Spring. I mean, 2011 seems like mm -hmm. three lifetimes ago. But yes, a wheat shortage caused that. And, and we could be in for more of that to come in the year, year or two ahead. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to be isolated just to the Arab world or to Africa. They're certainly going to get hit the hardest, unfortunately. But you had mentioned there's a lot of crops here in the U.S. that they're switching. So we might, you know, we might have a corn shortage here. It might be something in soybeans, something we haven't thought about. Or maybe it's livestock that aren't getting the feed that they need. So there are all these unintended consequences that I think we're going to see in the fall and you have to be worried about it. So there's a couple ways to do it. You can trade ag or you can buy yourself one of them deep freezers and get a whole bunch of meat like BK did.
I love buying in bulk personally, Bonwin. I, I think that's one way of, of doing it. Um, but for somebody who lives in a small New York City apartment, you're probably just going to pay higher prices. Um, and unfortunately for the consumer, they're, they're paying higher rents, which are sticky, right? Even though they're getting a higher wage, which is sticky also. But in terms of inflation, there are all sorts of inflationary pressures which won't be alleviated and, and may even get worse as time goes on, like food. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, outside of food, I, I would point to rents. I mean, those are pretty much fixed costs. And without much wiggle room there, I, I really, again, I, I think it's a cautious outlook um, at best. Yeah. All right. Coming up, a chip dip, a big warning from one semi-stock. But the company is flagging consumer demand. Plus the R word, inflation and rates in focus as a major indices, post their first quarterly loss in two years. So what is next for stocks? We'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of GameStop surging in the after-hour session. The company planning a stock split in the form of a dividend. Stock is up 14%. We've seen this, Pete, time and time again. The company announces a stock split. The stock goes higher. In this case, this is really interesting because we've said before that this really impacts options trading. And this is a stock that people like to trade the options for. Right. And it was pretty interesting today, Mel, because... The majority of what they were buying, this is not totally unusual, the majority of what they were buying was in the front month, but not only in the front month, but it was specifically on the call side. That's not totally unusual, but 71% of all the trades today were on the call side. And the interesting part about it was, as we're going into the final day, obviously tomorrow is expiration, uh, we look at the 170 strike, about eight or 9,000 of those were bought. The 180 strike, we also see about 12,000 of those being bought, and 16,000 of the 200s. Now, uh, honestly, like, why are they buying those going into this point in time, other than the fact that maybe somebody had some form of word, some sort of uh, something 
out there that had, had everybody going for these options. That was pretty interesting. I thought that close to 50,000 tr- uh, options were trading between 170 and 200 to the upside. And the stock, mm. of course, in the after hours is trading pretty nicely about 190 what? 196, 197? I'm, I'm not looking at it right this moment. 192. But I'll tell you what, those options, okay, well, those options, they will start to move pretty quickly then. Those 180s, those 170s, the 190s, those all start to move, maybe even kick in the 200s depending on where we are tomorrow. So it really is pretty interesting to watch how this whole game is played and GameStop being the name today. Hmm. Eyebrows raised, Bonoin, are yours? Uh, definitely eyebrows raised, and I think um, you know he calls out some really good points. That 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 gamma squeezing or kind of rushing to those upside calls. I mean, I don't really understand it in like a one day option, but it is pretty much textbook. Pretty much has been the playbook for these meme stocks, and I think the split will only make that a more readily available trade. So I, I think it's a boon for retail investors. We all know that it's not value creating, but it tends to lead to a higher higher prices. All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The R word. Investors fearing the worst as the markets post its first quarterly loss in two years. But where do stocks head next? Plus, pedal to the metal. Gold glitters as uranium shines. So how can you get in on the metal mania? The traders break it down next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chips getting checked today. Shares of Taiwan Semi dropping more than 2% after the company said it is seeing signs of slowing demand for smartphones and PCs. Meantime, AMD dropping more than 8% after getting a downgrade over at Barclays, a firm citing risks to its PC and gaming market in 2023. Is this pull forward, Dan? Well, maybe. I mean, the fact that we're still talking about lockdowns in Q, that we're in Q2 of 2022 is pretty shocking. You look at a company like Taiwan Semiconductor that came into this year in January. They had raised their sales guidance. They had announced that they were going to maybe spend up to $44 billion in capex. Apple is a 25% customer of this chip maker here. And so you have to think about what are the reverberations here. And so, you know, this company's going to report in a couple of weeks. So, you know, again, you know, do they have to actually, do they miss that guidance that they just gave? Do they guide down for Q2? These are the sorts of things that should be kind of weighing on the broader market. You know, a stock like this is down 30% from its recent highs, but look at the SMH and the rally it just had. This is one of the largest components there. So I think the major industry or some of these ETFs where stocks like this are large components have not caught up yet. And then longer term, I mean, if you, if you think about the political risks involved to Taiwan Semi and others, uh, BK, you know, if there is a move to reshoring and that actually sticks, that could benefit the chip industry here if that gets underway and the political tensions with China continue. 
Yeah, and, and I think we're going to see that. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when there was actually a chip shortage, because that was last year. So I can still remember that. And it's funny how we've kind of flipped here. But also remember, you know, chips are very cyclical. So this may be an early warning sign about what's going on in the economy. Like we said, we already know China is contracting. So are we starting to see the early signs of economic slowdown globally? And are the chips the canary in the coal mine? I think you need to pay attention to it at the very least. I mean, so you're hearing it from chips, sofas, RH, crop tops with H&M, Pete. I mean, the list is starting to grow and is going across industries here as the show goes on. I got to tell the crop top part of it threw me off a little bit, but um, yeah, no, I, 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 get, I, get, <laughs> I get what you're saying. And you know what? When you listen to RH, you, you, they talked about how the pricing is going to have to go higher. And, and so when you, when you start hearing that, do they have the same kind of pricing power that there are in other, other types of businesses? I don't think so. So because of that, yeah, I think that this is something that is, we all have to make, make sure that we are paying close attention to this whole thing, Mel, because this is something that, that is going to get, a, get worse before it gets better. Bonwin, give me a trade on a chip maker. Uh, long term, I actually like the Intel story for all the reasons that you just mentioned in terms of domestic production, ramping up um, foundry ability and manufacturing ability. Uh, you know, looking at um, AMD and, and, and Taiwan Semi today, I actually tend to want to rotate to a name like NVIDIA. And I know the, the, the multiple makes you want to shake your head and take a second look. But being that they have some specialized situation there in terms of gaming, and that's being viewed as an alternative to other streaming services and other consumption, I can at least wrap my mind around why that, um, why that might be something that's sticking and actually has uh, room for growth there. All right, let's get another check on how markets ended today. Uh, the Dow dropping 550 points, all three indices falling more than a percent and a half, putting in their worst quarter in two years. And the two-year yield topping the 10-year rate moments ago, inversion, the I word. The move comes as Fed officials seem to be less confident the U.S. can avoid a recession. Let's bring in CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. What are you finding chatting with all those Fed folks out there, Steve? You know, they're obviously not predicting recession. What's really interesting to me, Melissa, is they're not strictly ruling it out. Um, and I think that comes from two sources. The first is that there's a lot of unknowns out there. They don't really know how to uh, process what's happening now with the Ukraine war, uh, the extent to which uh, vital uh, commodities are both up in price and may even not be available. You know, when you look at what's going on with Putin and the idea of making uh, the Europeans pay for uh, natural gas and rubles, it's an interesting uh, bit of uh, uh, brinksmanship going on right there. Uh, the other sources, they don't quite know how they're going to get inflation under control using their two tools of uh, balance sheet reduction and interest rates, how much pressure they're going to have to give on the economy. So, look, they say, look, uh, the economy's in good shape. We'll probably get a decent jobs number tomorrow uh, and, and that the uh, economy can take interest rate hikes. But it's really a question of 2023. Will there have to be a slowdown? Will there have to be uh, a decline in, uh, in it or a flattening of growth in order to really get inflation under control caused by the Fed raising rates above neutral to really tamp down on the economy?
You know what's so interesting, Dan, is that when we talk to strategists and, and folks that track the markets, 2023 is generally, if they are forecasting any chance of recession, it is in 2023. Yeah. And that's what Steve is talking about. Yeah, and I think Steve would defer to us on the stock market. The stock market would probably discount it by the time we have that recession, <laughs> especially if it's one that's actually orchestrated by design, as BK has been saying. I mean, that's really what the Fed has to do. They have to slow things down um, to some degree. And, you know, you know, I just don't believe that a 15% peak to drop decline in the S&P 500 in one quarter, well before they even started raising rates, is going to be it. That's going to be it. And so the probability of a recession, of course, it increases. It doesn't mean that it has to be attached to a bear market at the time that we actually officially know the recession is here. Yeah. And Steve, I got to ask you how Fed officials are thinking about the inversion of the yield curve. And I know that we make a big deal out of it. It's, it's happening as we speak right now. The yield curve is, in fact, inverted. It's a moment of time. We'll see how long this persists. Um, but whether or not that yeah, it, is a contributing factor. Write it down. According to my data, I look at the tick data, it was 4.42 and 10 seconds was the moment that the curve actually inverted. A bit of a false alarm a few days ago when it actually got to zero. But, yeah, it really inverted minus 0.1, minus 0.2 uh, at 4.42 this afternoon in the after hours. Uh, and I, as I've said before, Melissa, the Fed likes to look at more of a near-term curve. It likes to look at the three-month to two years, sometimes three-month to ten years. It's more interested in the information given by the markets over the time period that they're trying to forecast. There's also some economic analysis that shows those near-term curves do a better job of predicting uh, growth and forecasting growth. Uh, but they're going to look at the 210. They know what the record is of the 210 predicting recessions. They're also going to look at a variety of different spreads that are out there. The uh, 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 investment grade, non-investment grade spread strategy, look at mortgages to see what kind of what's happening to financial conditions. That's their big interest in the fixed income market. How much restraint is being exercised on the economy on the one hand? And then, of course, they're concerned about whether or not balance sheet reduction and those sorts of things creates dislocation in the market, such as they're going to have to ease up and are going too fast. All right, Steve, um, always good to see you. Thank you. Steve Leesman. Brian Kelly, I'm going to ask you this question, and it's going to sound um, mm -hmm. flip on my part, maybe, but do you care what Fed officials see in terms of recession? Because they got the inflation <laughs> part of things wrong. I mean, and I don't yeah, mean any disrespect. So I, I mean, I don't, getting... it's very difficult to forecast. Let's put that out there. I, that's, I don't forecast. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's easy for me to criticize. Exactly. Well, as Yogi Berra says, predictions are hard, especially when they're about the future. However, I would say that the Fed has, has a huge credibility problem. It was less than a fortnight ago that Powell was on TV and he said, hey, listen, you know, I think the odds of a soft landing are pretty good. Now, all of a sudden, this story leaks out that maybe they're going to be looking for a recession. J.P. Morgan had a report out today that Bank of England might need a recession. So clearly there was an email that went around and said, hey, listen, we need to start preparing the ground for the potential of a recession here. My view is that's exactly what they want. You cannot fight the Fed in this environment, which is what makes me a lot more cautious in this environment. They do not want asset prices to rip higher. They don't want the economy to rip higher. They need things to slow down. In my book, that's a recession. And in my book, that's coming. All right, coming up. Metal mania, hard commodities rallying to close out the quarter. Gold, silver, nickel all on the rise. We're hitting that trade next. Plus, the key one in the books, we're checking out some of the comeback kids. The names of some big moves off their lows. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. 
Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Oil and ag, not the only commodities posting big gains to start 2022. Gold up more than 6%, finishing its best quarter in two years, while uranium soared nearly 35% in Q1. Palladium, also a big winner, up nearly 18%. So can these commodities keep climbing? What's your favorite metal, Brian Kelly? <laughs> wow, I've never been asked that question before. Uh, you know, my, my, my favorite metal is probably, yeah, it, well, let's go with a favorite rock. It's probably like uranium, right? I think that really is a great trade at this point in time. There's a couple different stories there. You've got a new, relatively new ETF-like product out of Canada called the Sprott Uranium Trust that is buying uranium. That's something that I'm long as well as when you look at the energy grid across the world, you look at Europe, they're going to have to turn their nuclear power plants back on. They're obviously going to need fuel for that. And then as we get to more of an electrified grid, the story for uranium even gets better because you're just it's the only uh, energy source out there that even comes close to hydrocarbons uh, when you talk about energy efficiency. So to me, the story for uranium is fantastic. Um, I don't know if uranium is shiny. It's just yellow, right? So yeah, that's what I've always case. said is you, you can't go green without yellow. <laughs> and you need some blue, too, but that's a minor detail. Um, Pete, I think you're all hopped up on the ura- uranium trade as well. I am. I'm right there with you, BK. I love it. Uh, I've been loving it this year. It's been nothing but hitting almost on a daily basis. We, we see different names all the time, whether it's next gen or it's UUUU, which is an energy play as well. That's also uranium. It's also CCJ, Cameco has been hitting almost on a daily basis, hit twice today for us for unusual option activity. So the movement that we're seeing out of uranium is certainly huge. Lithium is another one where we're seeing more and more of that along with copper. And I think a lot of that has to do with the EV space, Mel. So I think when you look at those, those definitely stand out. But you did mention gold. And I will say, I like GLD. I like GDX. I'd like to be in individual names a little bit more. But those have been um, an area that I've, I've found a little bit of comfort in. Because when you're looking around for something to be able to be a little bit safer place, maybe gold's that, that play. And that's why I have some positions on there as well. You know, Bono, and I know you've traded solar in the past. Um, and I'm wondering how you view the commodity spike because it's delaying or canceling a lot of projects that had been underway because you need a lot of copper and other metals in order to put in these installations. Yeah, it's just definitely causing disruption in terms of inputs. You know, I'm still bullish to secular trend, and I think that given where, we're, where we are with a lot of other base commodities, particularly crude and, and other distillates, it serves as, you know, a good substitute along with the rails. So I think maybe supplement the position a little bit with the, with the rails, being that they just don't have the same uh, – challenges in terms of input costs. But ultimately, as you've seen, you know, Biden come out and, and say they want to make this shift. And if you look at everything from, you know, your local transport authorities to the federal government, you are seeing this trend here. And I think that trend will, will tend to hold. And, and after we get through this, I think um, the shocks to, you know, the base commodities will only accelerate that. All right. Coming up, call it a comeback. The names have made some big swings since their quarter lows. But are they still worth owning at these levels? We'll find out next. Plus, crypto in vogue, the staggering stat on who is trading digital currencies. The number ahead and Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money with Q1 in the books. We are checking out some stocks that early in the year were big time ugly ducklings. But thanks to major comebacks from their lows, they are well on their way to becoming lovely swans. Check out Nucor up 60% from its lows. American Airlines 42% from its bottom. Eli Lilly up 21%. And Apple, that was a 13% turnaround from its lows. It wasn't uh, just stocks doing it about face. Bitcoin also surging nearly 30% since its lows of the quarter. So, which of these big names do you still buy even after such a big rebound? Pete, I'll go to you first. I'm going to surprise you, Mel, because I know you think I'm going to go with Apple, but I'm not. I'm actually going to go to Nucor. I like these steel names. I, I like a lot of the different types of names within that space, U.S. Steel, Cleveland Cliffs. But Nucor, I, they've got pricing power. They just had record numbers. They've got great free, free cash flow, and they trade incredibly cheap. So, for all those reasons, I think that they, they're going to be, at least for this year, 2022, I think that they are in a great position to continue to do very, very well. But I think that you have to be smart because by the end of the year, I think you've got to start taking your chips off the table. Pete, I might surprise you, but I'm going to say I would be a seller of <laughs> Apple. If you were to buy this thing, and some people bought this very well, okay? It got down to 150. It kind of held support. We was a moving average down there, the whole nine yards, a breakout level. This thing went from 150 to 180 in a straight line in less than two weeks. Just do the math on that. You can forget about the percentages. It's a half a trillion dollars in market cap. And what did we just say about the Taiwan Semi? It's a 25% customer of them. So to me, I just don't think this discounts anything. We talked about a 20 times multiple in the S&P 500 as expensive possibly. This trades at 28 times. Expect to have lower growth in the S&P 500, which could be lower than what we, you know, ultimately when they guide. So to me, I'd be a seller of Apple. I'm not surprised by that. I no. actually was going to guess Eli Lilly for Pete, no. but I will guess Bitcoin for Brian Kelly. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, that's a Boy, you really went out on a limb on that one. But yes, BK is a long-term <laughs> bull on Bitcoin. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'll give you the, what's been going on and kind of the rationale. If you look at Bitcoin, it is, you know, it's starting to get correlated with gold a little bit more. So you're starting to pick up the kind of this inflation hedged narrative. Um, so we're seeing that seep into the market. Um, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the fact that negative real rates are back. And that is generally positive for Bitcoin. And Citi had a great report out today on the metaverse, talked about that being about an 8 to $13 trillion market. If Bitcoin can capture some of that, or Bitcoin and Ethereum, you're talking about a multi-trillion dollar market where Bitcoin's only 800 million right now, or 800 billion right now. So, you know, long term, there's a lot of stuff here. The risk, of course, is if the Fed decides to really crush things, it's going to be hard for all risk assets. Uh, but for me, you want to have some exposure to Bitcoin. Bono, and which former ugly duckling do you like? I'm tempted to go with Lily just because I feel like all swans deserve to be included in the discussion and we're kind of leaving this one out. Dad makes a really good point about Apple. I, I have a slightly different take on it. If you look at the concentration of these names in the major indices, if you were to buy that, you're simply over-owned. So purely from an asset allocation standpoint, that's why you know, I think it's tough to buy that one. I also picked Nucor. You know, it trades around six, six and a half times Ford PE, strong free cash flow. Um, I think it's got about two, three billion dollars of cash on the balance sheet. Um, you know, I don't really love the manufacturing exposure, but as Pete again said, it's got pricing power. And for those reasons, you know, given the, the ducks that you gave me, Mel, uh, I've got to shoot one and I'm going to shoot that one. <laughs> We're not shooting anything. <laughs> That's another game. That we actually mothballed because we got to, you know, 
just outrage from animal lovers out there. So we're okay. But I got your point, Bonoid. <laughs> Coming up, we've got even more Bitcoin ban- video gaming. <laughs> video gaming. Um, we've got even more Bitcoin ban- banter ahead. Crypto use more popular than you might think. The big number of Americans dabbling in this trade. We got the details next. Plus, we are looking under the hood. Robinhood, that is, shares dropping more than 7% today, and options traders are betting on some more pain ahead. We've got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. How's this for a big number? More than one in five Americans have now bought, traded, or sold cryptocurrency, according to a new NBC News survey, including 50% of men between the ages of 18 and 49. Still, only 19% of respondents said they view crypto positively. That's odd. Compared to 26% who say they think crypto is a net negative, both Bitcoin and Ethereum have given up their gains for the year. BK, are you surprised by this number? I mean, to think about one in five people you run into on the street have traded crypto. Staggering. Yeah, no, it doesn't surprise me. It's it's the people's investment. And it's probably the first investment and first asset class out there that the people have been in, the retail has been in, before the institution has come. So, no, based on boots on the ground that I've seen, it doesn't surprise me at all. All right. Let's talk now about one of the platforms you can use to buy or sell crypto, and that would be Robinhood, the trading app getting crushed in today's session. And one option trader is making a huge bet that these losses are about to get a lot worse. Mike Coe is the action. Mike. Yeah, so we saw Robinhood options traded about 1.7 times its average daily volume. It was the 14th most active single stock option by contract volume traded today. And although calls did outpace puts, bearish bets actually outpace bullish ones. We measure that by put buying and call selling relative to call buying and put selling. And the single biggest trade we saw was a sweep of the April 13 puts. Somebody bought over 3,300 of those, paying an average of about 52 cents a contract for them. Buyers of those puts are obviously betting that Robinhood's going to decline below that $13 strike price by at least the 52 cents that they paid. That would put it below 12 and a half bucks by April expiration, which is going to be two weeks from tomorrow. How do you feel Today, about actually. Robin Hood, Dan? Not a fan. I mean, I, you know, again, you know, I, I don't know what the innovation is there. I, I would just say this, that, you know, that short squeeze that we saw earlier in the week from 13, okay, where Mike just said that a few times, 13, 13, 13, went to 16 and a half, and now it's basically round trip that. That looked like a little funky trade this week where, you know, into quarter end, high short interest, really poor sentiment. Uh, it looks like a few people got together and said, let's rip this thing. And the fact that it's come all the way down tells you that real owners of this thing are looking for opportunities to get out. All right. Uh, Mike, thank you. Good to see you for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That would be tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we've got your final trades. Inversion is here. Um, the yield curve is, is negative, and a lot of people look at this as an indicator of recession. It doesn't mean that a recession will happen, but there has never been a recession without an inversion of the yield curve. So this is something that people have been very closely watching. So we are seeing the inversion taking place in the after-hour session. We'll see if this carries through to tomorrow. Time now for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Pete Nigerian. I'm going to give you a Lithium Americas Corp. LAC, Mel. Brian Kelly. Well, you asked me what my favorite rock was or what my favorite metal is. Let's call it gold, like that one. <laughs> Bono and Eisen. Given the uncertainty in the domestic stock market and uh, globally, um, I'm looking long for some uh, volatility. Take a look at the VIX. Dan Nathan. 
We got a lot of time here, don't we? We do. So you, well, your, can I ask you a question? Metal? My favorite metal. I, you know, I'm so glad you didn't go to me during that. Those guys covered that. They really surrounded the trade. Here. I know. You don't have no favorite metal. Well, listen, I just want to be really careful with this yeah. Apple thing. And I said to you guys when it was 160, I thought it was going to 140. And now it's 174. I really do think that some of these mega cap names will lead the market lower to retest those March lows. So to me, if you bought Apple as a trade, I think it makes sense to take some profits here because the headwinds fundamentally don't look great right now. All right. Yeah. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We got a lot of tweets tonight about how negative we are, but, you know. Um, Thank you for watching. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.